is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Federal prosecutors charged Donald Trump with 37 felonies for mishandling classified documents at his Florida and New Jersey estate and obstructing their investigation. America's former president allegedly stored records in a ballroom and a bathroom, shared with guests a, quote, plan of attack prepared for him by the Pentagon and suggested that his attorney hide and destroy documents subpoenaed by a grand jury. Some of the records described America's nuclear weapons program. Mr Trump is due to appear in federal court in Miami on Tuesday. President Vladimir Putin told his Belarusian counterpart, Alexander Lukashenko, that Russia will move tactical nuclear weapons into Belarus next month. According to Mr Putin, storage facilities will be ready by July the 7th or 8th. Russia resupplies its forces from Belarusian territory, but the deployment of a nuke in Belarus would mark an escalation of the country's role in the war in Ukraine. Boris Johnson quit his post as an MP after receiving a report by fellow lawmakers investigating whether he had lied to them about holding parties during lockdown. Their report, which has not yet been published, is said to have recommended his suspension from Parliament. Britain's former Prime Minister denied wrongdoing and accused his colleagues of a, quote, political hit job. The Nicaraguan government confiscated property belonging to 222 former political prisoners now in exile. In February, the country's authoritarian regime released the political activists, among whom are politicians, students and priests, and put them on a plane to America. The expulsion is part of an ongoing campaign of repression designed to keep Daniel Ortega, the country's president, in power. Ukraine's internal security service said that it had intercepted a call that proves that a Russian, quote, sabotage group blew up the Karhuvka Dam. Russia and Ukraine have blamed each other for the dam's destruction, which has flooded Kherson, a region in southeast Ukraine. Residents have been left stranded and without drinking water. Some of those trying to escape have been shelled. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, hailed, quote, results in heavy fighting in Donetsk, a region in the country's east. Hanna Malia, the deputy defence minister, said Russian forces were, quote, actively on the defensive around Orihiv, a city in the southeastern province of Zaporizhia where Ukraine has also launched attacks. Russia denied that Ukraine had achieved any breakthroughs. Colombian authorities found four children who had been lost in the Amazon jungle for 40 days after a plane crash. On May 1st, a single-engine propeller plane carrying the children, two adults and a pilot, suffered engine failure and disappeared from radar. Only the bodies of the adults were recovered from the downed plane prompting a search for the children. And word of the week, Vishvaguru, a Sanskrit phrase meaning teacher to the world. Narendra Modi, India's Prime Minister, hopes to transform his country into a Vishvaguru by sharing its digital technology. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. 
Ukraine's counteroffensive comes into focus. Ukraine's counteroffensive is just days old, but its shape is gradually becoming clearer. One axis points east to Luhansk and Bakhmut, another aims south and southeast from Volodar. A third is now emerging as perhaps the most important. Ukraine has launched a major southward assault in Zaporizhia province, which forms the central part of the war's long front line. The advance looks like the biggest one yet. It may be aimed at driving to Melitopol, from where Ukrainian rockets could, in effect, sever the Russian land bridge to Crimea, or at moving southeast toward the port city of Berdansk. Some of Ukraine's most advanced Western-supplied weapons, including the German Leopard tanks, are now showing up on the battlefield. The advance has made some progress, according to Western officials, but Russian military bloggers, a barometer of official sentiment, are not panicking just yet. The coming days will make clear whether the Zaporizhia axis is indeed Ukraine's main effort, as many suspected, or a bold feint to draw away Russian reserves. Egypt's government talks at the opposition. Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, Egypt's military dictator, has a pension for dramatic monologues. In early May, at the opening session of the country's first national dialogue, a series of meetings for people across the political spectrum to exchange visions and propose reforms, he told attendees that Egypt, quote, deserves their effort, sweat, and blood for its betterment. So far, they have probably only shed tears of frustration. Before the event even began, the regime made clear that some topics, including the country's controversial constitution, would be off-limits. Critics say that the initiative has been nothing more than window-dressing. The third session of the National Dialogue's political committee begins on Sunday. In theory, its discussion could lead to revisions of a law on NGOs, which in its current form threatens to stifle civil society. In a country with an abysmal human rights record, this is worth discussing. The opposition is probably tempering its expectations. Mr. Sisi is skilled at monologues, but rather unpracticed at conversation. The Women Who Ran Finland Finland's record on gender equality is rightly famous. The state's generosity to new parents is enviable, and women are well represented at the highest levels of business and politics. So no one was particularly surprised in 2019 when Sanna Marin became the country's third female prime minister. But, remarkably, the leaders of the four parties in her governing coalition were also all women. A new documentary series looks at their time in power. First Five, released on Friday on HBO Max, follows the quintet as they grapple with issues ranging from COVID-19 to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, all while facing intense personal scrutiny. Quote, if I'm working, I should be with my family. If I go running, it's wrong because I should be working, Ms. Marine protests in one scene. Their term in office ended with defeat to a center-right party in elections in April this year, but many people hope that the idea of women holding all the top political jobs will stop seeming noteworthy. Quote, power can look different, says Maria Ohisalo, leader of the Greens. Quote, power can look like this. Man City poised for Champions League victory There is no doubt that Manchester City is the best football team in Europe. They have sauntered in to the Champions League final, which they will play on Saturday against Inter Milan in Istanbul. In their 12 matches in the competition, they have been behind for a total of just 76 minutes. And in Erling Braut Holland, they have the tournament's leading goalscorer. Their demolition of reigning champions, Real Madrid, in the semi-finals 
was one of the most complete club performances, showcasing mesmerizing passing and peerless positional play in recent memory. Even Barcelona, during their imperial era, logged a defeat in the first leg of their round of 16 matchup against Arsenal before coming through to win the title in 2011. City has displayed no such carelessness, only focused progress. Inter showed some steel in overcoming rivals AC Milan in the semis, but their players, a collection of Premier League cast-offs, are not in City's class. For the Abu Dhabi-owned club, a first European title surely awaits. Weekend Profile Alexander Sirsky, the head of Ukraine's ground forces Russia expected its capture of Ukraine to take days, but the defender's latest counteroffensive, which began this week, started 16 months after troops first crossed the border. Much of Ukraine's impressive resistance is the work of Colonel General Alexander Sirsky, the head of Ukraine's ground forces. General Sirsky was born in 1965 in Vladimir, about 200 kilometers east of Moscow, now Russia's capital, but has lived in Ukraine since the 1980s. He trained alongside current Russian commanders at the elite Higher Military Command School in Moscow, but he has long fought against Russia. Before becoming head of Ukraine's land forces in 2019, he was the ground commander for operations in the east of the country, playing a prominent role in the war that began in 2014 with Russia's invasion of Crimea. Despite his Soviet training, his operational flexibility differentiates him from Russian generals. He preaches NATO principles of decentralized command and prioritizes his troops' morale. Every day, he reads messages from hundreds of soldiers and regularly visits them on the field. Quote, you must feel the spirit of the army, he says. The general is said to be a gym-addicted ascetic and an obsessive planner. In February 2022, while Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, was playing down the risk of an attack on Kyiv, General Sirsky was quietly preparing to defend it. Before the invasion, he ordered that military hardware be moved to protect it from airstrikes. When Kyiv came under threat, Ukrainian soldiers blew up a dam in the Irpin River to flood the Russian positions and destroy their pontoon bridge. The invaders retreated and the capital was saved. In April 2022, General Sirsky was made a hero of Ukraine. In July, General Sirsky planned an operation to push Russian troops back from Kharkiv. By September, after Ukraine launched its shock counteroffensive in the northeast, he had raised his country's flag in liberated nearby towns. More recently, he led the defense of Bakhmut. Military wisdom says spending so much effort to defend a strategically insignificant town makes little sense, but keeping the Russians committed to such a meager prize was arguably a master stroke. Many more of those will be needed for Ukraine to make gains during the counteroffensive. General Sirsky's military brilliance faces a momentous challenge. This week's quiz winners. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random were Marta Becker, Überlingen, Germany, Lane McIntosh, Toronto, Canada, Andy Wyatt, Manchester, Britain. They all gave the correct answers of pumpkin, shepherds, pork barrel, apple, and cherry blossom. The theme is pies, pumpkin pie, shepherd's pie, pork pie, apple pie, and cherry pie. The questions were, Monday, what is a common name for the mature winter squash often used for seasonal decoration? Tuesday, members of which profession were the first to hear of Jesus' birth according to Luke's gospel? Wednesday, 
What phrase is used to describe the practice of demanding public spending that will benefit the constituents of an elected politician? Thursday. Which is the first company to reach a market capitalization of $1 trillion? Friday. Which spring festival in Japan is known as Hanami? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Edward Wilson, who was born on this day in 1929. We have Stone Age emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. <laughs>